0: I just uh, I just love this um, Book of Ruth. I don't think I've ever studied it like this before in all the years. And I've known the Book of Ruth and many of us think we know the Book of Ruth, but I don't think I've ever dug into it like this before. And I really, really have enjoyed what we've done over these last six weeks. And um, I can't get it out of my head because week by week I know that I'm probably going to get another t- turn and therefore I'm listening and I'm absorbing and putting together what God is saying. And interestingly, we don't talk about it in between. Um, so God is obviously speaking to us and through us. And for me, that's a huge delight that God is actually saying something to us um, as a body here. Um, and, um, and so when Mark asked me to, to do this morning, and I realized where we'd got to in terms of um, our kinsman redeemer... I just—it sort of sends shivers down my spine, really, because it really is the gospel message. It really is understanding and knowing what Jesus has done for us and why He's done it. Um, And so, carrying on from Mark last week, he spoke about um, the source, didn't he? He spoke about God being the source. And so, I'm going to take the next few verses um, from Luke. Sorry, from Ruth to. Uh, 15 to 19 but I'm actually going to start sorry 20 to 23 even Um, but I'm going to start at 19 because I want to pick up on the last verse from Mark last week and then um, so that it just makes sense Um, so where did you gather all this grain today Naomi asked where did you work may the Lord bless the one who helped you so Ruth told her mother-in-law about the man in whose field she had worked and she said the man I worked with today is named Boaz May the Lord bless him, Naomi told her daughter-in-law. He is showing his kindness to us as well as to your dead husband. That man is one of our closest relatives, one of our kinsmen redeemers. Then Ruth said, what's more, Boaz even told me to come back and stay with his harvesters until the entire harvest is complete. Good, Naomi explained, do as he said, my daughter, stay with this young woman right, sorry, stay with his young women right through the whole harvest. You might be harassed in other fields, but you'll be safe with him. So Ruth worked alongside the women in Boaz's field and gathered grain with them until the end of the barley harvest. And then she continued working with them through the wheat harvest in, uh, in early summer. And all the while she lived with her mother-in-law. I think this is perhaps the most revealing part of the book of Ruth. Often when we think of Ruth, as somebody said a few weeks ago, we think of those verses where she said, where you go, I will go, and your God will be my God. And people quote that in wedding ceremonies. But actually, that's only a a, a very small part of the book of Ruth. And we've come to, I think, perhaps the most important part, the climax, if you like, of the book of Ruth, Mm -hmm. of what it was all about. And if we look back over what we've done these last few weeks, you'll see your own journey in that. You'll see something of your life and your journey um, in what's happened. What I want to look at this morning is two things. The first thing I want to look at is what she said in verse 20. Naomi told her daughter-in-law, he is showing kindness to us. He is showing kindness to us. What is kindness? What is kindness? God's kindness is hesed. God's hesed denotes persistent and unconditional tenderness, kindness and mercy. Mm. You know, uh, yesterday, we had a great day yesterday. I wasn't feeling at my best because I've had a tooth out this week. Girls, if you want to lose some weight, have a fast, then have a tooth out. (laughs) (laughs) Works wonders, you just live on yoghurt. But, Um, but what I really was impressed by Angie and there were a lot of things that impressed me but one thing that really impressed me about what she said was she was slow and deliberate about what she said she was very deliberate about what she was saying so that you know even though it was a long day for most of us who've worked all week actually pacing it like that meant that you went home with stuff that you could really think about and chew over and make a few notes about And I think that actually this portion of scripture I just want to be very deliberate about. Because I want, and I prayed from the moment Mark said to do this week, God I want this message to be heard. Not because it's me, but because this is such an important message. We've got to get it. We've really got to get it. It's got to be not just something up here, it's got to be something down here that we can actually live out in our lives. He has shown kindness and where does that word come from in the English language? What does kindness mean in the English language? Well, it comes from an old English word, kind, C-Y-N-D. And then it, it, in the Middle English, it comes from kind, kindy, K-I-N-D-E, or kindy. But in our, in our language now, that word kind means the nature, the family, the lineage, or it's linked to kinship. Kindness is very much linked yeah. to kinship. Now if I asked you to put your hands up if you thought you were kind, I'm quite sure that everybody in here would put up their hand because we do think that we're kind. But actually there's a different kind of kindness that God is showing in his hesed kindness. And I want to try and get to that place with you. Now over the last two, nearly three years now, I've been running and setting up a new service for the organisation that I work for. And what I do in my day job is I employ carers who who uh, I'm training to care for people who are dying in their own homes. I'm a specialist palliative care nurse, and so I train carers to care for people um, in their own home. And I've been doing that for about three years, and I've got a workforce together of about 60 now, and um, a 10 office staff and we've built up a personal care service and the, the, if you look at, you can see our adverts on the back of buses if you live around in Bromley we're advertising and recruiting but the one thing that the advert says is we're looking for kind people mm. I'm only looking for kind people I don't care whether you've got skills or whether you've been caring for people for 20 years I'm not interested in that I'm only interested in are you kind. Are you kind? And we specifically put it in our advert that we're looking for kind people. Now, if you look at, um, uh, across the NHS, if you look across the whole caring service, you can see in the papers every day or certainly every week or on the news, you can read about unkindness to people, can't you? So what is it? Because anybody who goes into a caring profession, you'd think they were kind people. So what is it that makes people who think they're kind become unkind? Because people do. And sometimes, I'm sure if we were all honest, we would say that there are times when we are unkind. We're not expressing God's hesed kind of kindness to people. What is it? Why is it that we express unkindness? And unless we can really understand what God's hesed kindness is about... It, it, we can't really understand why we're like that and why people who who have gone into a caring profession where they are supposed to care for people and be kind to people become unkind and do unkind things. Why does that happen? And, um, and I really am on a mission to kind of restore kindness, kindness into caring. Because if you're going to care for somebody, then you have to be kind. But the kind of kindness that we see in our world is not God's kind of Hesed kindness and therefore it has the the potential to become unkind now in my recruitment process I usually only take about one in four or five people who apply because people are just not I can just see they haven't got it they just haven't got it Um, and unfortunately the caring professions are some of the easiest to get into, you don't have to be qualified you don't even have to have any kind of um, Uh, um, training you can just come into it you can get off the plane from another country you can come into this country and you can just get into a caring role and it doesn't mean that you're kind it means that you're doing it because you need some money and it's the easiest job to get into I want to look at this morning, um, what is it that I see in people? Because I've been thinking about this for the last three years. What is it that I see in people that shows me that there's something kind about them? I don't think you can, well, I'm changing my opinion here. I think you can teach people to be kind, but there's got to be some wanting in them to be kind. You can teach people skills. And the best carers that I've got working for me are people who've got no previous experience because I haven't had to kind of wipe their software uh, in the way that they've been, you know. Sometimes people say to me, oh, I don't want to do it your way, I want to do it the way I've been trained. And I say, no, you're not going to do it the way you've been trained. You're going to do it the way I want to show you or don't work for me, you know, because I want kind people. And the, the interesting thing is that we get a lot of feedback from, and we, we, we send out questionnaires to all our Uh, patients and the one thing that comes back in the vast majority of the letters is your carers are kind your carers are kind i think yes that's exactly why i chose them i don't you know they might have got it wrong they might people don't remember you know when you have an interaction with people they don't remember what you say they remember how you left them feeling they remember how you left them feeling so they might have dropped something on the floor or knocked a cup of tea over in someone's house or broken a teapot or, you know, hopefully they don't, but they might have. They won't remember that. They'll remember how they left them feeling um, and whether they want them back or not. And when I get letters that say, your carers are kind, I think, great, that is exactly what I intended them to be. Uh, and so um, if we think about kindness being related to kinship, Um, it It indicates what we are, who we are, and the fact that we're linked together in the present and across time. Kinship is generational, isn't it? And so if we're kind, and if we're thinking about lineage, if we're thinking about kinship, it's an indication of who we are and what we are. Kindness is both an obligation to one's kin, born of an understanding of our connectedness, and the natural expression of our attitudes and feelings arising from this connectedness. Kinship is imbe- kindness is embedded in kinship. So when Boaz saw Ruth and he knew that she was of his kin, he showed kinship to her. He showed kindness to her because she was indirectly or directly related to him. So people who are rooted in a sense of kinship with each other are inclined to be attentive towards each other's needs. So you are attentive towards your family needs, aren't you? Your parents, your... I cared for my parents when they were both alive. I saw it as part of my responsibility because they were my kin. And so (coughs) you have a responsibility towards your children. They are part of you, your kinship. And so you are drawn... So I'm drawn towards helping all my nieces and nephews because I see them as part of me. They've got the same, same DNA as me. They're a part of me. So when, you, when you, you automatically are able to show kindness to them because they are a part of you, I feel they're a part of me even though I didn't give birth to them. They are a part of me. They're part of my lineage. They're part of my family. <clears throat> kinship, sorry, kindness is kinship felt and expressed in what we do. And it emerges from a sense of common humanity. We are of the same kind. We are of the same kind. So when I show kindness to other people, do I recognise them as my kin? Do I recognise them as someone of my kind? If you think about the armed forces... They put a lot of emphasis on drill and discipline of chain of command, but they also put a very strong emphasis on that connectedness and that loyalty and that kinship. So when people are fighting and they're in the war and they lose one of their comrades, you could, I don't know whether we can really understand, I've never been to war, but can understand the loss that they feel because that's one of their kin, it's one of their kind. It was someone who they'd put their life in their hands It was somebody who they recognised as not just another soldier in the army, but one of them, one of their kind. And therefore they had a sense of loyalty to them, and now they've lost that person. What is it to be kind? Kindness is a behaviour marked out of a concern for others. But it has to be more than that, doesn't it? There has to be a recognition of the kinship that we that that is in that world. And it, word, sorry, and if we look at the world today, we might want to ask ourselves the question, what's happened to kindness? What has happened to kindness? Why are people not kind? Why are why do we fight? Why do we war? Why are people not kind to each other? Why do we not see that kinship? With each other, because after all, are we not of one kind? When God created us, didn't He say we are created in the image of God after His kind? Mm. We are created, we are all each other's kin, we are all after the same kind, whether it's in here or out on the high street, whoever. You know, when I look at people that I see whatever difficulties they present to me whatever problems however horrible they are to me they are still created in the image of God that was the substance that was so therefore we are of one kind so my kindness or God's kindness towards us is not dependent on how you are toward me If I'm going to express God's kindness and kinship to you, then it's not dependent on how you are to me. It's dependent on how I am with God in allowing that kindness to come through. In the Second World War, and I wasn't alive then, but um, men and women laboured together, didn't they? They fought together. They were wounded together. They were bereaved together. There was a sense of the common good wasn't there? And after the war, there was that whole sense of, of of kinship in let's get the country back on its feet. Let's share what we have. Let's do what we need to do. Let's work for the common good. What's happened to that? Do we think of the common good? I don't think we do generally. We don't think of the common good. We don't think of that whole kind of let's make this work. Let's pull together we haven't got that whole sense of camaraderie. There, is, there was an expression in, in, and after that war of everything being shared together, wasn't there? Of rebuilding the country together. There was that sense of communal well-being. Don't answer this, but how many of you know your neighbours? How many of you know who you live next door to and who lives next door to them and who lives next door to them? Do you know them by name? Do you ever speak to them? I can remember when I was growing up, everybody in Shirley knew me and would dob me in to my parents. Everybody. I'd come home from school and my mum would go whack. And I'd say, what was that for? And she'd say, you were smoking on the bus this morning. And I'd say, how do you know? And she'd say, oh, Mrs. So-and-so told me. And then she'd go, whack. And I'd say, what's that for? And she'd say, that's for next time. (laughs) In case no one sees you. (laughs) You know, when I grew up, everybody in the borough knew me. I couldn't get away with anything. We knew all our neighbours. I was part of a church community, but that's not the point, you know. Everybody knew our family because we were such a big family. And so people would dob me into my parents and so <clears throat> we don't have that now though do we <clears throat> bless my mum I love her dearly <clears throat> <clears throat> um, but we've lost that sense of community now we, were, we met as senior leaders a short while ago and we were talking about that whole thing how do you restore community you know well I think you can kill people with kindness I think you can show kindness to people. People respond to kindness. People respond to the kind of hesed kindness that that, uh, God is wanting to express to us. It's about pursuing the well-being of others. And when we stop and look at others, and if we stop and look at others and stop focusing on ourselves, we will start to breed kindness. It's when we focus on ourselves that we stop breeding kindness and in fact we breed unkindness. One of the most problematic aspects of kinship today is to decide who is your kin? Who is your kin? Who is of your kind? And I'm sure if we were honest we'd sit down and say well he is, she is, he is, they are, Mm, he's not, she's not, you know, who is of your kind? But as far as God's concerned we're all of his kind. We're all of his kind, because we're all made in the image of God. He said, after our kind, he made them. Yeah. Jesus never focused on himself. He never focused on himself. He was always thinking about others. If you read, Jesus always promoted the Father or the Holy Spirit. Yeah. He never promoted himself. It was the role of the Father to promote Jesus and the Holy Spirit. Jesus' his role was to promote the Father and the Holy Spirit. Uh, Jesus said in Ephesians, be kind to one another. Be kind to one another. Be tender-hearted. The New Testament church had all things in common, didn't they? They had that sense of camaraderie. They sold what they had and they shared it with people who didn't have. They were kind to one another. If you go back into the 19th and early 20th century, kindness was sentimentalised and steadily downgraded to being the kind of universal prerogative of people like romantic poets or clergymen or charity workers. And unfortunately, (coughs) kindness was feminised and it's presumed to be something that tender-hearted women do to show kindness. And unfortunately, kindness became seen as weakness, not as a strength. And it's become feminized. And that's basically where it's remained. Men, you can be kind. We can all be kind because we are of his kind and we're reflecting his Hesed kindness to others. Kindness is not a soft sentimental feeling or an action. It's a binding, creative and problem-solving force. And it inspires and it focuses and the imagination and the goodwill. You know, when I when I'm on the phone and patients and families and they're screaming and shouting at me and don't think they don't because they do they're screaming and shouting at me because they're frustrated or angry or something hasn't happened I just have to really bite my tongue focus my mind and be really really kind because when I do that it just whew, pulls the rug from underneath them when you're really kind to people they actually kind of they, they don't know they're, they're knocked off their balance but so often because of our own self-interest when people are unkind to us we want to retaliate well if that's what you think i was driving into the the super there's a supermarket on my way to work and sometimes i just stop in there to buy something on the way to work and it isn't really got an in out drive it doesn't say only in or out that way Uh, but um (laughs) i kind of was going in as someone was coming out and she thought i should have gone in the other way so she winds down a window and she's at me, you know. Oh, I, I thought, hmm, you got outside the out the wrong side of bed this morning, you know. I've, what is all that about? All I've done is drive my car in, and she's just <laughs> <laughs> so, so I went. <laughs> I didn't wind my window down. I just went. <laughs> um, Hello, Mom. I just went. <laughs> <laughs> and I just thought, man, you know, some people's lives are just so stressful, aren't they? Um, <clears throat> but when people are unkind, now I could have wound my window down and said, what do you think you're doing telling me where I should drive my car? You know. But no, I just think you can actually, you know, you can pour oil on, a, uh, oil on the fire or you can pour water on the fire. And uh, you can... <clears throat> you can show kindness to people and it just pulls the rug out from under their feet <laughs> that woman she was having a bad day and it was only seven o'clock in the morning i mean it was <laughs> it was obviously a bad day for her <laughs> um, <clears throat> um mark mentioned last week about katie cutler you know she saw this uh, elderly pensioner who'd been mugged and she set up a website didn't she to now they've had to close the website now because they've got £3, 329,000 pounds fantastic and they've had to say stop stop sending your money and actually what they've decided to do now is set up between them another website to help other people oh, so good. that's incredible kindness that girl's 21 what did she see in that man what did she see in that man she saw someone after her kind She might not have articulated it like that. She saw someone after her kind. She probably didn't say this, but it's like, this man is created in the image of God, I'm created in the image of God. We are kins, and therefore I'm going to offer him kindness. Jesus exuded kindness, and Jesus was not weak, and Jesus was not sentimental. Kindness is authentic generosity and open-heartedness that seeks the good of others and expects nothing in return kindness is a fruit of the Spirit. Jesus never exhausted his kindness. Why? Because he was never expecting anything back. You know, I can remember my poor mum with six of us saying things like, and I don't blame her for saying things like, oh, I'm sick of doing it for you kids. You never do anything to help. You're this and you're that. In other words, she come to the end of her kindness because she didn't see anything back for it. And sometimes we can stop being kind to people because we're not getting a reward. That's not God's chesed kindness. Jesus just gave and gave and gave and gave because that was part of who he was. And if we're going to show kindness to people, it will have an unlimited supply and it won't be exhausting to us because it's a part of God's love flowing out to other people. Jesus' kindness was an end in itself. It was an expression of who he was, the expression of kinship towards us. Kindness is an end in itself. Kindness is not a means to a reward. Kindness is an end in itself. If I think of one person, if I could just think of one person that sums up kindness to me, I would think of Mother Teresa. And Mother Teresa said this, she said, let no one ever come and go, come to you, without leaving better and happier Be the living expression of God's kindness. Kindness in your face, kindness in your eyes, and kindness in your smile. She was a woman who just constantly gave, didn't she? She constantly gave kindness because she was being regenerated by God for that kindness to flow. She was not expecting a reward in this life for what she did. I'm reading a book at the moment also about kindness. Um, And these two guys say this. Real kindness changes people in the doing of it. Often it's in unpredictable ways. Real kindness is an exchange with essentially unpredictable consequences. It is a risk precisely because it mingles our needs and desires with the needs and desires of others in a way that so-called self-interest never can. You know, if we really are going to express God's kindness, then in expressing that kindness it will change us. Real kindness will change people in the doing of it. And I just love that. I think, God, let me be so kind to people that it changes me. Because it's the kindness that you're expressing. Kindness cannot have self-interest. Otherwise it won't be kindness. The kind of kindness God's looking for is the kind of kindness that changes us when we do it. And if kindness is the fruit, it has to grow. And it'll grow when we can unashamedly own that language of kinship. When we really can own that kinship. When we're truly prepared to seek the good of others and recognize our interrelatedness. There's a huge lack of kindness in the world because there's an abundance of competitiveness and self-centeredness. It's not about you anymore like it was after the war. It's now about me. It's about me and mine and what I can do and what my group can do. And until we can move away from self-centeredness and until we can seek the goodness of others, we're not going to be able to express God's kindness. The church needs to bring kindness back into society. We need to bring kindness back in The seeking the goodwill of others needs to come back into who we are and what we do. And interestingly, there was some research done in 2005 and it says this. It says, there is evidence um, that people who care about the happiness of others and the relief of misery will themselves be happier. In other words, happiness is a dynamic relationship to how we treat others. It is promoted through offering and receiving kindness. So, if you are able to offer kindness to other people, you'll actually be happier. It will change you. If we're self centered and it's all about me and my problems and my difficulties and no one's helping me and why is everybody not on my side, then we won't be happy. We will become happy. Kindness will change you, you will become happier because you're meeting the needs of other people. Naomi said to Ruth, God is showing his kindness, his hessedness to us, his persistent and unconditional tenderness, kindness and mercy. And so it's not only to us, but he's showing it to your dead husband. And so that man, being one of your closest relatives, Naomi recognized the kinsman redeemer. She recognised that Boaz had something to contribute towards their return to everything God had for them because she understood what a kinsman redeemer is. What's a kinsman redeemer? A redeemer is one who buys back. A redeemer is someone... (coughs) Sorry, to redeem means to buy back. When mankind fell through the sin of Adam, it was always God's intention to restore us. It was always God's intention to redeem us, to buy us back. Into that relationship that he's always intended, and the whole concept of um, of redemption is first mentioned in Leviticus. And if you go to Leviticus 25, and it <clears throat> it talks about here. If a fellow Israelite falls into poverty and is forced to sell some family land, then a close relative should buy it back. I'm not going to read it all to you for the sake of time. But if, a, if somebody falls into poverty, a close relative should buy that land back. So why should they do that? Well, because land is your provision. Land is where you graze your sheep or your flocks or your herds. Uh, your land is where you grow your food. Your land is your provision. It's your wealth. And so God set up this whole um, subs- this framework, if you like, that people would always have that provision. Your next of kin would buy that back for you. One needed the land in order to live. And in Leviticus 25, um, <clears throat> uh, we read about how you could buy back somebody from slavery and in Deuteronomy 25 we read about if two brothers are living together on the same property and one of them dies without a son his widow may not be married to anyone outside the family instead his husband's brother should marry her and have intercourse with her to fulfill the duty of her brother-in-law and have children for her So God had already put this framework in, in the Old Testament, of redemption, of buying back, not just your land and your property and your provision, but your inheritance, your heirs, your sons and heirs. And if a woman's husband died without having children, then that husband's brother, or a kinsman redeemer from within the family, should fulfill that obligation. And Naomi would have known this. She would have known this, and so when she saw Boaz, she thought, right, this man is our kinsman redeemer. That's why she said to Ruth, stay there. Stay there. You'll be safe there, she said. You'll be safe, and he will do what uh, a kinsman redeemer does. So what does that say to us? What does that say to us? He, Boaz is a picture of Christ, showing kindness, showing that kinsman redeemer If we look back over the story of Ruth, we can see our own story too. We can see our own story. We can look at Elimelech, a man who made wrong choices. Have we made wrong choices? Yeah, we made wrong choices. A man who made wrong choices that took him to a place that was cursed. That took him to a place that he was never intended to be or to fit into. Naomi did not fit in Moab. In the same way that God never intended us to fit in the world. We are never intended to fit into a fallen world. We live in a fallen world, but we're not in... God's intention never was that this fallen world would shape us and mould us and provide for us and be everything to us. It was the devil who has wrapped everything in shiny paper to attract us. God's intention, he says, be not conformed. To the image of this world. Be not akin, be not of the kind of the world, he says. Be transformed, he says, by the renewing of your mind. We, we were never intended to fit in this fallen world and have this fallen world be everything to us. <clears throat> and so we can see that she never fitted, we, Naomi never was the right fit uh, for Moab and when she saw that God was providing she made a decision didn't she she made a decision to go back the prodigal son made a decision he came to his senses he went to the father and somewhere along our la- our journey we've made that decision haven't we to come back to the father to come to the redeemer and Christ has already God has already set that whole thing in place in Jesus Christ. When God created us he said you are my kin, you are after my kind and in his foreknowledge he knew that we would need to be restored and at the same time uh, that sin separated us from him he was positioning himself to redeem us back. At the same time that Adam was f- falling in the garden and God was casting him out God was already putting in place a plan to redeem us back. Such was that fact that God said, you are after my kind, I want you back. One of the things we heard from Angie yesterday, and she explained it so well to us, was that the purpose of being of God's kind, where we feel valued, where we feel loved, where we feel um, our sense of identity and purpose, and when we're not under that Um, relationship with God we're going to look in this world where we are not of its kind to get those needs met to be loved and accepted and valued um, and find our meaning and purpose it's never intended to be in the world it's intended to be in God and therefore God knowing that um, had already put in place through himself through Christ a way of restoring us back and we read in Galatians 4 And it says, And when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, made of a woman, made under the law, to redeem them that were under the law, that we might receive the adoption of sons. So think back to that law in the Old Testament that God set up, that when a woman dies, a husband dies, a kinsman redeemer, somebody from within the family would join with that woman to produce an heir. Jesus has set that up, God has set that up for us in Christ Jesus. That because we have died through our, our fallen world, he has sent his son as a man to redeem us so that we can not just be redeemed, but so that we can become an heir. To fulfill the law, because we were under the law at that time before Christ. That we might receive the adoption of sons, and because of son, we are sons, we can cry out, Father, Father, we can call him Father because he has now redeemed us back as one of his kind. Under the law God made himself born of a woman. He had to come in the flesh. He had to come as one of us in order to redeem us back to the Father. How did he do it? Titus 2 tells us this, For the grace of God, I love this verse, For the grace of God that bringeth salvation has appeared to all men. He's now shown us. Not only did he set it up, but he's revealed it, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lust, that we should live soberly, righteously and godly in the present world, looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of the great God and our Saviour Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us that he might redeem us, he might buy us back because we're after his kind and free us from iniquity and purify us to himself, as a peculiar people zealous for good works, he gave himself through his death on the cross. He became our kinsman redeemer because we are after his kind. He delivers, he has delivered us from the curse of the world. He has delivered us from that in the same way that Naomi was delivered from when she came out of Moab. Um, Galatians 3.13, Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law, being made a curse for us. Cursed is everyone as hung on a tree. So as a redeemer he has bought us back lock, stock and barrel because he recognised he made us after his kind he has restored us to be after his kind. He's bought us for himself out of the curse, out of destitution and made us his own. Mm -hmm. It's God's plan to redeem us not just as a person but everything that pertains to us. So he's redeemed our life our identity, our purpose, our provision, our land, as you, if you want. God has redeemed everything. And he's restored everything as it was how he originally intended it. How he started it. And he's done it legitimately yeah. by becoming a man. By coming to earth. By becoming one of us so that we might become one of him. Yeah. That's how he's done it. So now... In Hebrews two, so now Jesus and the ones who makes he makes holy have the same Father. the The King James Version says, "Are all of one." (coughs) So now Jesus, who makes us holy, has made us as one with the Father. That is mind blowing, but he has made us as one of his kind with the Father. That is why Jesus is not ashamed to call them his brothers and sisters. Jesus is not ashamed to call me his sister. He is not ashamed to call you his brother. Why? Because I'm after his kind and he's redeemed me. And he has said to God, I will proclaim your name to my brothers and sisters. I will praise them among the assembled people. And he also said, I will put my trust in them. That is, I and the children God has given me. Because God's children are human beings made of flesh and blood. The Son also became flesh and blood. For only as a human could he die. And only by dying could he break the power of the devil who has the power of death. This is the only way he could free us all who have lived their lives in fear. Sorry, lives as slaves in fear of dying. And because of our relationship with God... God has broken through the first Adam and God sent Jesus as the last Adam to restore it back. The world was broken through the first Adam, but Jesus became the last Adam and restored it and redeemed it and brought it back. However, our relationship with God has to be a choice. It has to be a choice. He's set before us a table in the presence of our enemies. It has to be a choice. We have to come and eat. We have to come and allow God to f- build within us that fruit of the Spirit, that hesed kindness that he wants to express to the world. I love that. Um, do you want to come back? I love that expression, uh, that verse in Lamentations. It says, the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases, the loving kindness, that hesed." loving kindness of god never ceases his mercies and compassions never come to an end they (sighs) never fail you know church this morning I, i look around the room and i know most of us are believers but you know there's another level in what god wants to show us and teach us through this in what he has restored to us in what he has brought back to us in his kindness to, he wants to show to the world because I'm sure that that kindness is what will draw people one of the things that will draw people if we can allow God to flow through us amen